I, I believe that we're going to see from the judgment seat of Christ why our behavior matters, why our conduct matters, why the way we live our lives matters to God, and that there are there is a judgment and there is a consequence. Let's first talk about what's known as a great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And as you're turning there, the great white throne judgment has to do with these things. If you're taking notes, you can put this on, on the screen there. Our salvation or damnation? Heaven or hell? Life or death? That's what the great white throne judgment is about. When every man that's ever existed will stand before God and basically, in just layman's terms, he'll say you're either in or you're out. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. You're either saved or you're damned. It's clear cut. It's not ambiguous. It's very clear cut that God said you go to heaven. You are saved. You have life through the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So when we go before the throne of God and the great white throne judgment, we are judged according to what we've done about Jesus Christ. Do we believe he's the son of God? Do we believe that he is the substitute for sin? Do we believe he's our only hope for salvation? Can I tell you that when you stand before a holy God, all of your good works, all of your church attendance, all of your prayers, all the money that that you've given to the church, when you stand before a holy God, it's going to seem like nothing compared to his greatness and holiness. That you want to be before God covered by the blood of Jesus. You want to stand before God, righteous and holy, not based off your merit, but based off his goodness and based off his grace. So we look at what's going to happen in Revelation chapter 20. And here it's showing what will happen. In verse 11 of Revelation 20, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is a book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, and the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is a second death. Here's a key phrase in verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The scripture is very clear here that we will be judged about what we've done about Jesus Christ, whether we've received him. And that, the great white throne judgment, has to do with our salvation and what God's done for us. But the judgment seat of Christ, what we started out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, describes a judgment that's going to come for believers. Many times the, the erroneous attitude that we have that just says, okay, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I understand God's grace, now I can do whatever I want to do, and I'm just going to escape into heaven. We will be judged by our conduct and how we act. While you're there in Revelation, go to chap, later on to chapter 21. In chapter 21, it says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and, will, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, clue in here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death and mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. He 
who was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. If you look at verse 4 again, we talk often about the fact that God's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. And that's a very poetic uh, phrase that lets us know that we're entering in a season, in an eternal season where there's no disease, there's no pain, there's no depression, there's no mourning. I love that. It's true. I personally believe, though, that before we enter into our complete rest in the afterlife, there is going to be a time of regret for us. And there's going to be a time that we mourn and we cry over the choices we made. And then God, when we stand before a holy God and we realize I could have done more, I could have been more, I sinned and my sin had consequences and there'll be a mourning and then God's going to wipe away those tears from our eyes. I say that because he's a good God and he loves us and we don't have to carry our shame and we don't have to carry our guilt. There's no shame, there's no guilt in heaven, but there is accountability. There is a judgment. We are not to be careless people. We are not to live our lives without regard for the future. We're not to live our lives carefree as if we, because we understand God's grace, can choose what we want to choose. No, there's accountability. There's a choice. There is a judgment that will come upon us. And I believe there is a, a, a judge. There is a time of regret. Going back to Second Corinthians chapter five, looking at verse 10, it says talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And this language is very familiar for those who read this scripture because it's talking about a, a word called bema, which literally means a raised position. The Roman magistrate would sit in this raised position when they would come and he would make judgments on issues regarding the people. And it would literally be an elevated throne or an elevated place of seating. So not only physically was this this uh, seat or, or chair placed, but it was also a sign of, of judgment beyond the people, the One who gave judgment was set apart and set above them. And so it is with Christ. Though Christ is our brother, though Christ is our friend, though Christ is our companion, Christ is set apart from us and he will judge us and judge what we what we do and what we say and who we are. And so when we stand before him in this judgment seat of Christ, he is physically set above us. Now, the judgment seat of Christ referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 does not have to do with our salvation. I want to make that clear. That's one of the reasons why I talked about the great white throne judgment, which has to do with our salvation. But the judgment seat of Christ does not have to do with our salvation. It has to do with the possibility that, and hear me close, we can live a saved life where we understand the salvation of the Lord, but have a saved soul but a wasted life. It's possible for us to know His grace and to understand our citizenship is in heaven and understand that that He has covered our sins and yet at the same time waste the very gift that He gave us and not accomplish His will and not accomplish His purpose. And here's the thing, if you 
are earthly minded and all you want to do is just get in heaven, I suppose, even though I would cast doubt on that, that you could choose to live that way. But can I tell you that when you stand before God and you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and every thought, attitude and action will be laid bare before him, you will have a time of regret if you have not focused on him and strive for holiness and strive for righteousness and strive to, to make the best choices possible. So what will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ? Let's talk about that for a second. What will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ? Our actions will be judged. You see there, it said very clearly, it says that we will be judged for the things we have done in the body. Those physical things, our actions, the things that our body manifests, we will be judged for that. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. This scripture is just so haunting, but it's true. It says, I tell you the truth, that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. We're going to have to give account of every careless word we've spoken because our actions, God is a God that is a God of justice and our actions do make a difference to him. So we will be judged for the things done while in the body. How our lives manifest. If our lives are manifesting righteousness, are they manifesting sin? There will be a judgment for that apart from our salvation. We will also be judged for our motives. Our motives. Why we do the things we did. Whether our motives were good or whether our motives were bad. Our motives will be judged. Isn't it scary that one can do the right things and have the right actions, but have the wrong heart? Because a lot of times, right actions produce good things in our lives. We do the correct things, we do the right things, and there is an earthly reward. There is an earthly acclaim. But God cares more than just our actions. He does care about our actions, but he also cares about our motives. That's why he's in, he, he's redeeming our hearts and he wants our hearts to grow. He wants our, it's not just our behavior. He wants a, there to be a connection between our behavior and our heart. And that's why our motives will be judged. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, where Paul said this. He said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Now, what do you think the appointed time is? It's the judgment seat of Christ. Wait till the Lord comes. This scripture has brought me so much comfort, this next phrase. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. You know, we really need to get out of the business of judging people's motives. That's a business I'm trying to get out of easily. Even Vice President-elect Biden, I even appreciated what he said. He said it well. Someone asked him, they said, what motivation did you think your opponent had? And he said, you know what, I will judge, I will judge his judgment, but I will not judge his motives. And I think that's an appropriate response, especially to us spiritually, that God clearly says that there's going to come a day, look at verse 5 again, that he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I know someone else's motives. And it really bothers me 
when others seem to succeed with the wrong motive. And it really bothers me when others seem to be blessed and I don't think they have the right motive. But when I put my attention on them, then I'm taking attention away from my heart. Because, see, my motives change all the time. And, and to say that I'm always pure in this motive and I'm always right in this motive, that's not true. Hopefully the scope of, of my ministry and the scope of my life and the scope of what I do, I, I do have a pure heart. But a lot of times our motives, they change from hour to hour. And we always have to allow the Holy Spirit to get control and the Holy Spirit to get ownership of that. What will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ? There'll be a reward there. It's all not negative. It's not all negative. It's not just like we're going to just go and get hammered by God. We're also going to go and get rewarded by God. There is a reward for righteousness. You know, a lot of times that we think that in this life, life doesn't seem just. It seems those who cheat, those who cut corners, those who uh, do things that uh, are, are not ethical, sometimes get promoted and recognized and get blessed. And we think, oh, my goodness, how could that happen, God? How could you bless them? How could you prosper them? How could you promote them? Look at their motive. Look what they're doing. Can I tell you that the ju- final judgment is not what happens in this life? That there is coming a day, and it's coming soon, people. Listen, I don't care how young you are, we're going to be standing before God soon. We are not guaranteed tomorrow in the scope of eternity. Even if we live our 70, 80, 90 years, our life is so small compared to eternity. And when we stand before God, that's when we want to be rewarded. That's when we want to be in the right place. That's when we want to receive what God has for us. And so we will be rewarded. I love Hebrews 6.10. It says God is not unjust. Is that true? Do you guys agree with me that God's not unjust? He will not forget your works and the love you've shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. You know, other people will forget the things you've done, even if you do it for them. Have you ever done that? You've you've really helped somebody out and they just don't appreciate it or they might even forget about it. And, you know, there's that part of you that says, oh, man, what did I do that for? Can I tell you, God's not unjust. People might forget. He's not going to forget. He's not going to forget because you're building something. Your life, you're building something with quality. You're building a godly life. You're using godly materials. You're building something special. And God is not unjust. And when you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, it's not just a time where your motives will be judged that are negative and your actions that will be judged that are negative. Also, those positive actions, those righteous actions, those God-centered, Holy Spirit-driven, motivations will be recognized and will be rewarded by God. Paul knew that that this concept and he understood it because Paul faced troubled times and Paul faced adversity, but he understood that he would be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. I love that phrase there. You know, we need to be people like that, don't we? Where we don't lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. So we fix our eyes on what is seen. But, no, excuse me, for we... Fix our eyes not on what is seen. It's amazing how one word can change a sentence, doesn't it? 
But on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When we understand that we're going to stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, it begins to change our motivation. It begins to change what drives us. It begins to change the choices we make because we're not just living for the consequences today or the consequences next week or the consequences next year. We're living for the consequences in eternity. We're building something that's going to last beyond us and beyond our nation and beyond our family and beyond anything that's earthly. We can build something eternal held apart for God. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because this scripture is just great and powerful. It's going to clearly illustrate what Paul was trying to explain in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, he gives another analogy. He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. We already talked about that. Grace is our basis. We don't understand grace. We're always going to have wrong theology. Do you understand that? you understand that when we don't have grace? I remember when, uh, when I was in Young Life, which in Texas was really big. It's a it's an organization for uh, that that go to to the different high schools and start clubs. And my young life director he asked me my senior year if I'd teach a freshman group. And and I remember meeting him for breakfast and and he said, well let me ask you something, Aaron. He said if someone had to save, what would you tell them? I said, well I'd say you need to accept Jesus Christ in your life and then you better live holy or you're you're going to hell. And he's like, I think he nearly choked on his eggs there. Because that's a great thing in a way, but it's not totally biblical. So you understand that grace is our foundation right there. It's Jesus alone. He's it. He's the only one. He's the only way we're saved. He is, is faith in him. And he, you know, if a, if, if a man says he's saved, listen, if a man says he's saved and he believes in Jesus Christ, then we are to accept that and God's the one to judge him and God's the one to judge his fruit. That's true. You know, the Bible says in Gospels that by your fruits you'll recognize them. That's talking specifically about false prophets. If you go look at the context of that, it's talking about false prophets. You'll recognize false prophets by their fruits. But the grace of Jesus is the, uh, the uh, justification by faith is our foundation. So he says that again in verse 10. By the grace God's given me, I lay a foundation as an expert builder. Someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. So here we go. Each one, you and I, each Christian, we need to be careful how we're building on this foundation of grace. Let's go on 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's it. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. What's that day? The judgment seat of Christ. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. Now, here's an interesting phrase. He himself will be saved. He's going to be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So you build your life. And he said, Jesus is, we're going to start off with grace. Jesus is the foundation. Now be careful how you build. Because you can either build with gold, silver, costly stones, or with wood, hay, and sticks. 
And you're going to come before God and you're going to pass through a fire. And when you pass through the fire, you're going to be tested. I just want to tell you this. Your life's going to be tested. Someday you're going to stand before God and your life's going to be tested. You're not just going to get off scotch-free. And I say that in love and I say that with as, as, just as much love as I can. That this careless attitude we have towards our life. To say that our conduct doesn't matter and our speech doesn't matter and the choices we make don't matter. That is not of God. That's a deception from the enemy. It matters how you behave. It matters how you act. You're to avoid sin. You're to pursue righteousness. You're to pursue holiness. Sin is to not dwell in a Christian. Period. And it's not supposed to happen. And you are building something. You're building a life. What are you building it with? What kind of materials are you using? Now, why did he use the the term gold, silver, costly stones? Well, for us, that didn't mean a whole lot. But to the, if you look a little deeper, he's talking about the specific materials that were used to build the first temple, the temple of the Lord. You see, we now, we're the temple. This building here is not the temple. This building is a place for us together. We are the temple. We hold God's presence. But in the Old Testament, they had a physical temple. And if you look at me, at, at um, or, or I'll read it for you. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14, it says, I've worked hard to provide materials for the building the temple of the Lord, nearly 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, and so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. I have also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need to add more. As they're giving instructions on how to build a temple, they were specific about the materials. And when we talk about the materials in our life, gold and silver that was in the temple, and at first read, I thought that the costly stones would be like jewels or diamonds, but it's actually talking about marble and granite and costly stone material that you would build a great building with. We are to build our life with the costly things, the things of God, the things that bring spiritual value to our life. The fruits of the Holy Spirit. Our lives should be filled with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, with goodness. Those are the costly stones in our life. Those are the things that bring great value. Those are the things that will pass through the fire. Those are the things that are eternal. Our prayer life. Our communion with the Lord, building the local church, being full of God's word, living righteous, being people of compassion, speaking up for the poor, having justice, the things that are close to God's heart. Those are our gold. Those are our silver. Those are the marble, the granite in which we build a spiritual house. Jesus is a foundation, but we have to build our house with the right material. The stuff that he's told us to build our life around with a prayer life, with intercession, with quoting the word, with all the things that that he's provided for us. But yet so many of us, we use wood, hay and sticks. We build our life with the principles of the world. We build our lives and we're building a spiritual house and we're taking shortcuts. We're using material that might be easier to handle and quicker. It goes up quicker. And it looks like everybody else. But when we pass through the fire of judgment, it's going to burn. It's going to burn. When we, when we build our lives with earthly things, here in the house of God, sometimes what we do is we take a little bit of gold and silver, and then we take some 
hay and sticks. And we kind of combine and we try to build it on top of each other. Sometimes we're, we're using the Word and we're using Scripture, but then we'll go take these earthly principles and we'll kind of layer them up and our house will fall that way too. How are you building your house? How will you build that? Because God is calling each of us to increase, increased quality. You know, it's not just getting a convert, which is great. But the Pharisees, they would go make converts and make them twice the hypocrites that they were. I like D.L. Moody. He said this, that we ought to, this was in the 1800s. He said we ought to weigh the value of our converts and not just count them. A more contemporary way is to say we need quality, not just quantity. What am I trying to say is I'm trying to say that as God's people, as God's church, it's time for us to raise the standard and not just to try to get people into heaven and not just try to get them uh, to fill out a salvation card. All of that is needed and all of that is good. But it's time for you and I to raise up a standard and say we're going to have better quality lives and we're going to start building our lives different and we're going to start using the things God has for us and we're going to start avoiding sin and and getting away from the hay stick and straw that it doesn't matter if our neighbors are building their house with hay stick and straw it doesn't matter if our family members are building with hay stick or straw we have a different standard we have to build a spiritual house with the material God has for us Tim, Paul said this again in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. He says, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, look at that phrase, keep yourself pure. That takes effort. That takes intentionality. That takes discipline, that takes boundaries, that takes standards, that takes spending time with people that want to be the same way. It doesn't, godliness doesn't just accidentally happen. The fruits have to be cultivated in your life. And so it says there that if you, 21, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Can I be blunt? Some of you wonder why God's never used you in a certain way. It's not God's problem. It's your problem. You're not prepared. You're not set apart. You're not pursuing holiness. And you're just used, being used for common purposes. You have to keep yourself pure. And his grace gives you the ability to do that. So that you can be that instrument that he wants to use. Some will be saved. This is the part that, this is where, as I'm a pastor, you know, that's my gifting. I do the work of the evangelist, but I'm a pastor. And I want to see people perfected in the image of God. That's one of my jobs is so that when you stand before God, you're more like Jesus. And you're more holy. You're more like him. And one of the things that frustrates me and one of the things that grieves me is that some will be saved but they will have a life that was wasted. They will receive no crown and no reward. Why do we receive crowns and reward? Look at Revelation chapter 4. At the end of time, it says the 24 elders. This is Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. Fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and say, and say it lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. 
Do you remember the song we sang earlier, Glorify Your Name? It says, as we all come, as we all lay our crowns down. That's not the way it says. How does it go? But something like that. It says, um, casting down our crowns. Oh, that's a nice language, right? Not, you know, casting down our crowns. But it, it, it's from the Word that God has given us this great salvation and we stand before the greatness of who He is and the greatness of His name that the rewards we receive through the judgment seat of Christ are those things we'll be able to cast before His feet as, the, as, a, as a, an expression of our worship. Going on to Revel- Revelation chapter 19, I want you to turn there I want you to, as, as our last passage today. There's some who will get to heaven thinking they've done great things for God. But they'll find out on the judgment seat that so much of their life was wood, hay, and stick. See, what's going to happen is this. When the precious jewels, when the gold and the silver pass through the fire, it's refined. It becomes finer, it becomes greater, it becomes more valuable. But when the wood, hay, and stick pass through the fire... It's consumed and it's gone. Can I tell you, so many of the things that we build our lives around are going to be gone today of judgment. They're going to be gone. So, so you've strived all your life to get a house that costs $100,000 more. That house is going to burn. So you strive at all costs to get the promotion. That house is going to be, that, that promotion will, won't pass through the fire. So your kid is a great athlete. So you miss church and you miss youth camp and they never are involved. Great. Their batting average is up and their first string. But that won't pass through the fire of God's judgment. But holiness will and godliness will and prayer as a family and devotions as a family and laying hands on your kids when they're sick. Not me laying hands on your kids. I'll be glad to do it. But you're the priest of your home. You're the one that has authority. You're the one who can speak into their life. Those things will pass through the fire and it will become greater. Do you understand what I'm saying? How are you building your life? I'm not trying to scare you out of your salvation today. I'm not. That'd be too easy. That's easy preaching. I can get 25% of you at the altar today trying to scare you into hell. Anyone who's a decent speaker can do that. But I can tell you, a day of regret's coming. A day of regret's coming when you're going to stand before God and you're going to think about this message and you're going to think about these songs you've sung and these sermons and say, why didn't I live better? Why didn't I live more holy? Why don't I have more things that are going to endure into eternity? I wasted my life. I spent my life on things that don't matter. I spent my life on things that don't count. I spent my life on things that didn't pass through the fire. I have been tested and there's nothing left. There's nothing left. You understand that? You see, someday we're going to look Jesus in the eye. We're going to look him in the eye. You know, I really, they say that the eye is the gateway to somebody's soul. You know, with our children, when we really need to get truth out of them, Beth, you know this, they say, look me in the eye. If they can look me in the eye and lie, I hope they never can. Because when you look somebody in the eye, truth comes out. You remember the fire we talked about? 
the fire, the judgment seat of Christ, where our lives are going to be tested? Is it going to be gold, silver, precious stones, or is it going to be wood, hay, and stick? Do you know what that fire is? Read with me here at Revelation chapter 19. We learn about Jesus. It said, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. Now look at verse 12. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Look at verse 12 again. His eyes are like a blazing fire. Can I tell you, someday we're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see him face to face, and metaphorically or literally, I don't know which one, but his eyes are like fire. His eyes are like fire. And when we look him in the eye and he looks into our lives and who we really are, those things that we built that are gold, silver, and costly stone, they'll pass through the fire. But all the wood, hay, and stick that we've wasted our life with will burn just like that. Listen, I want your life to count. I want your life to be built on something great.